You are listening to The Real Men Feel Show with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having, but you don't need to be a man to join us. The Real Men Feel Show is produced weekly for your growth and enjoyment. Listen to us on podcast platforms including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and many more. You can also watch the show on YouTube by visiting realmenfeel.org slash YouTube. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or subscribe on iTunes by visiting realmenfeel.org slash iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at realmenfeel.org and at facebook.com slash realmenfeelshow. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Your reviews, comments, feedback, and participation are welcome during the live show and anytime in our Facebook group, on Twitter, or at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get into this week's show. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. And uh, whew, I am, uh, I'm excited for um, tonight's show. This is, uh, this is another situation where uh, I have a guest coming on who is someone I talked to months ago and was supposed to have on the show in March, I believe. And as I shared in the last couple episodes, you know, I went really dark. And uh, the gentleman we have talking tonight is one of the many people that I, I blew off. So I, uh, um, I'm glad that we're having, having, this, having this conversation. Uh, I, I see a lot of uh, things in common as, uh, as I talked to him months ago and, and kind of look into what he's up to. But it's my, uh, again, it's my very uh, special honor to, uh, to welcome speaker, author, combat veteran, and dog trainer, Mr. Ryan Matthews. Thanks so much for having me, Andy. And you know what? I had total faith in the whole process. I knew you were going through your own thing and probably super busy, and I trusted the process. So I'm really glad that we were able to make the time. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, cool, cool. See, I do want to uh, just open that and, and acknowledge and again say sorry for blowing you off. And uh, I also really want to honor you. We, we had had one conversation but you are one of many people that you kept pinging me a few times via Facebook. Hey, like, hey, are you, are you okay? You're still out there, man? And, and uh, even if I didn't respond, which I probably didn't, I, I, I felt that. And I just want to say thank you. I appreciate that. And the interesting part is, you know, I can relate as well because part of being a combat veteran or even someone that's been through different types of PTSD, one of the things that I tend to do in the past and still sometimes do is isolate. And so you're definitely not alone and I'm not alone in doing that. And it's okay just going through the process. And it's, I think it's so powerful to know that there's people there ready with open arms to receive us when we're ready to move from underneath that rock. Yeah. And it's neat you say that. And, and again, let, let's give everyone permission to, to go into isolation because for me, it's like I have to do that to prove that someone doesn't want me in isolation or to prove that isolation doesn't feel good and I do want to engage with people. So it's, it's almost like I need to gather more evidence that, you know, life is worth exploring kind of or something like that. But, you know, uh, if, if being under the rock is your comfort place, which it is for mine at times, like, you, I, you know, retreat and then I have to come back out. So, but uh, I'm glad that, you know, you can connect with that and I'm sure other people do too. Absolutely. But, um, you know, what, what, what really, there's many amazing things about you, Ryan, but the one that stood out the, the most to me is that, you know, you were, uh, you're training elite army canines, uh, combat vet training dogs, and then you go out of the service and you create uh, uh, your own million dollar business training civilian dogs, 
and yet you somehow felt like a, a failure with all that as well. And so that there's that, the outward gleam of success, but not feeling it. And there's the whole notion of taking your dog training and applying it to human beings and seeing that it works. <laughs> so, right. so why don't we start, why don't you talk about uh, the military background and, and I, is, is that where you first began working with dogs? Was it in service? It, it was. And the interesting part is that I actually never had a dog growing up. <laughs> so my first dog, well, first let me go back to, I joined the army because I was actually a drug dealer and my friend tried to rob me of my own drugs and I tried to stab him. Wow. However, I didn't know what I was doing. So in the process of trying to stab him, I ended up pretty much nearly stabbing myself and I'll show it for the viewers. You can see here, my finger will not move because it's stuck because I nearly cut my finger off and cut the tendons. Now, that's why I joined the army was to run away because my friend then threatened to blow my head off with a shotgun uh, days after the stabbing. And I ran away and joined the army. And in time, I became a canine handler. And it was a really great time uh, until it wasn't. Hmm. Now, the, the interesting part was I mentioned that I was a former drug dealer as a teenager. Well, guess who my very first dog was? A narcotic detection dog. <laughs> of course. <laughs> that's just a really funny irony. And so that's how I got my start. So my very first dog was actually a narcotic detection dog. <laughs> and it's just funny in a lot of ways in that most people have, you know, a regular pet dog. And my first dog was a military working dog and a drug sniffing one at that. <laughs> yeah, so that, that is a... Uh... It kind of just proves that the universe is always conspiring and giving you those those traits and skills that you'll use in a different way in the future, perhaps. <laughs> That's right. And awesome. so I really enjoyed the that work doing detection with narcotic detection dogs. Uh, but eventually, I graduated into explosive detection. And now that's a bit more higher end because you have to be not just technically but tactfully uh, proficient because you can't step, trip on a tripwire or step on something that you pressure sensor. And so you have to be very uh, high in your attention to detail. Hmm. And that, again, it was really fun until it wasn't where I did my very first bomb threat sweep. And, you know, the things that go on in your mind when you're told you have to go search a massive Walmart and it's just you and your dog and you got to go and find where that bomb is. It really is a mind screw, I could tell you. And I actually told myself a mantra that I ended up nearly killing myself because I never let go of the mantra, and that was, I am dead. <laughs> On the way to my very first bomb threat sweep, I continued to tell myself, I am dead. And I did it because I was scared to go in and search the building. And so my logic was, if I'm already dead, who cares? I can go in and give it my all because I'm going to die anyway. So I could give it every single ounce of everything that I have in the process. But I never let go of that mantra. And it ended up haunting me years later. So in, until that time, did you have that sort of like a that pessimistic kind of outlook growing up as well? Or is it just created for this job situation? That's a great question. Now, the truth is that I always had a chip on my shoulder. I always felt the world was against me. And rightfully so. I had seen trauma since I was a little kid and was around a lot of tough, rough and tough things. And I was also modeling 
based on what I saw around me. And I was always trying to be someone in something that I wasn't. I was trying to be that machismo male, that tough male that, you know, don't, don't look at me the wrong way or we're going to have a problem. And you know what? That actually wasn't me. I was trying to be someone that I thought I needed to be for my tough family members, for my gang related friends. And that's part of why I took on that whole persona of chip on the shoulder and don't mess with me. And I'm a, I'm a tough guy kind of thing. At, at that time, did you realize you were putting on a, putting on an act or did you no. believe yourself? Yeah. Okay. No, I was not in tune with the other pieces of who the essence of who I am. I, I didn't know there was more than one type of me. And that was a really great revolution revelation, but it took me 30 something years to figure that out. <laughs> Well, hey, some people never do. So congrats for figuring it out. <laughs> That's right. So you've made it to the military. You've been active. And I assume to, to, to survive in the military, you've got to keep that tough guy persona going too. It's, I'm sure you didn't drop it there. That's exactly right. So I went from teenager to the military, and it was that same thing. And, you know, I made rank very quickly, and part of it was because I played the game very well. And that is you're a tough person and you volunteer for everything. You say yes to take on missions. In fact, I volunteered to go to the war. I raised my hand when the tasking came down. They said, we need two dog handlers, who wants to go? And I raised my hand. And that was, again, part of that whole macho kind of guy stuff. And I guess it, it kind of served me, and it also allows me to know how I don't want to be. And at the same time, that will always be in me, I just hope to never let it out. I will always be a warrior. That's always inside of me, but I don't need to show it. Right, and, and always having the capability of being a warrior doesn't mean you have to always be at war. Is that, is that safe to say? That is, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's profound. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's a lesson I think, if, not even every man, every human really needs to realize that we, because it, it's, not, it's not easy. <laughs> life isn't always easy and being a human being uh can it certainly comes with challenges and it can be hard so we're, we're we all have to be warriors at times absolutely cool so you're in the military having a successful career doing the dog training and did, did uh did you just just you know when your service agreement came up you decided to leave and start your own business or did it end in a in a different manner right so i again i volunteered to go to the war and then after my time was done well i should go backwards where um, I came back early from the war after seven months because my dog was injured in combat. And so we came back early after seven months and I actually extended my time in the army so that I could go to the war. And so when I got back from combat, I was due to get out. We call it ETS, which means you're discharged. And I then was diagnosed with, a general anxiety disorder, which later turns into PTSD, which I didn't know until I began to put myself out there in the civilian world. And, but anyways, when I got out of the Army, I ended up uh, taking a contract job as a civilian contractor for the Army, uh, working a drug dog in the Marshall Islands, which is in Micronesia. That's cool. So, yeah. so, so the dogs, dogs have taken you lots of places. Yeah, yeah. And that was, that was super chill. And 
I really enjoyed it because I was actually going to go back to the war zone as a civilian contractor and make 130000 a year. And this other opportunity came up to work a dog on the islands. And I think that that was exactly what I needed after going to the war zone. Okay. And I thought that was really a wise choice. And I also met a really special woman by the name of Lindsay Davis on the island. And we ended up eventually uh, being involved in a relationship. And that, that was a real blessing. And she taught me a lot about just being who I am and not taking things so seriously and enjoying life more and laughing more and being more playful. And after I got out, we were doing that relationship and she and I got on an ATV where uh, I was in California. She was living in Colorado. So we met in Utah, which is halfway. And there's not a whole lot to do in Utah, but we rented an ATV. Now, Lindsay's on the backside. And again, I just got out of the war. So I still like excitement and adrenaline. So I'm getting my adrenaline going and she was having fun with it. And I remember seeing 5'2", 52 miles per hour on the speedometer of the ATV. Well, I was 52 miles per hour around a loose gravel curve. And I knew I was going to lose control. So I leaned as hard as I could to the left and I yelled jump to land onto the trail. But I ended up flying over the handlebars. She held on to the back rack of the ATV and never let go. And I rolled down the mountain and my head, my helmet, should I say, busted open on a boulder. And then I woke up choking up water in a stream. And Lindsay was pinned under that ATV. And it took me 45 minutes to go and get help, but eventually I did. And I moved to Colorado to take care of Lindsay and nurse her back to health. And I'm happy to say that she did survive that ATV accident. And I moved to Colorado to care for her like I had shared, but I didn't know what I was going to do for work. So I resorted back to something that I had known before, which was dogs and dog training. And so I spent 12 grand into a dog training franchise and I converted that 12 grand into just shy of a million dollars in two and a half years training pet dogs. That's amazing. And, and as I said in the open, you know, in reading your own, your own bio that you, you did that, you, you, you've made the success, but you somehow didn't feel successful. That's right. Because I never enjoyed the process. I was, all right, here we go. Vulnerable moment. I was manipulating my clients. I was learning how to persuade people. I was mirroring people. I was matching their tones and their body language and persuading them to buy. And I sold 70 to 80% of the people that came through the door. I sold them. However, I never really took into account the essence of who they are. I never really tried to connect with them. I tried to manipulate them and persuade them to buy my training and I wasn't trying to do it to be mean. It was, it was fun for me. It was a game for me. And to be fair, I knew that I really would transform their relationship with their dog and solve their dog training problems. So I definitely was helping a lot of people. But it was more about my intentions weren't as pure as they are now. And so that's part of why I didn't enjoy it. And I was working with clients on the hour every hour, 10 to 12 clients per day. So I didn't really have enough time to slow down and breathe or chew on a part of the day or have any appreciation for any of the beauty that had presented itself. Yeah, I was pretty much just like McDonald's flipping burgers, very transactional and just going through the motions almost. So the, the bank account's growing, but you're just so busy and 
you know, you, you have lots of awareness now about the, the manipulation, not feeling connected. Did, were you aware of that in the moment back then, or is it only in hindsight? I was probably too naive and arrogant at the same time to realize that it wasn't entirely right. And for me, it was almost selfish where it was kind of fun to see if I could make the sale. It was a game. It was a game for me. And I'm not saying it was necessarily good or bad. It's just now it's not how I do things and it doesn't feel as good or it doesn't feel good at all now if I were to do that. So you realize this, you're, again, the, the bank account's doing fine, but you're feeling you know, kind of empty and, and not in connection with the way you, you somehow, you, there's a desire to connect with people that's not happening. Right. So, so did you just, did the business kind of collapse on itself or did you decide to do something entirely different? How, what, what was next? I love how you said, did the business collapse on itself? And that's going to be really funny here in the next few minutes because here's what happens. I started pet dog training in 2008, and I said pet dog training, but I trained dogs since 2002, military working dogs. So from 2008 to 2011, I was doing pet dog training in Colorado. And at this point now, back, let's fast forward to 2011, I have commercials on TV for my dog training business, a massive facility on a major road, and a fleet of fully wrapped vehicles with my business and graphics on it. And I was doing about $1,000 or $1,500 per day. Now, seems great, right? Yeah. Until it's not. <laughs> I have stomach pain for five months. And again, a little bit naive and a little clueless. I rushed to the ER after throwing up something clear, didn't know what it was. And it ended up to be stage three colon cancer. Now, I'm 30 years old. And the only real thing I've ever been through was that stabbing as far as me hurting myself or breaking something or anything like that. And so this stage three colon cancer diagnosis, when I'm at the peak of my professional career, was pretty devastating. Now, besides being naive, I also can be stubborn at times. So I still went back to work. I got chemotherapy running through my body, and I go back to work. And so in May of 2011 was the stage three colon cancer diagnosis. Now, two months later on the 4th of July, a day that I would go and hide in the Colorado mountains away from the fireworks, I ended up having what's called a widowmaker heart attack. And they call it that because you're not supposed to survive it. It's attacks, should I say, the left anterior ventricle. Most people don't survive that. And so I have in May cancer, July, a heart attack. But yet again, I go back to work just a month after the heart attack. A bit stubborn and a bit naive. And we're getting to the collapse of the business, but we're still not there yet. <laughs> so out of my stubbornness, I go back to work. And this was then the worst mistake that I ever made. Because I was at my facility and my own dog, her name is Montage. She had a, she's a Belgian Malinois, which they use for police and military work. She had a small sore on her paw, and she kept licking it. And my thought was that the wet wound would need to dry and heal. So I put a big muzzle on her so that it could dry. But when I did that, she was not conditioned or used to me putting on her wearing a muzzle, should I say. So when I put the muzzle on her, she charged after me, wanting me to take it off. And because I never really addressed my PTSD, 
And because I was a mess with my emotional and my physical well-being, I threw her numerous times. I tossed her. I struck her with a closed fist a couple of times. My office manager ends up turning me in for animal cruelty. I get an attorney and she watches the video because I had security cameras and she said, you'll never go to jail for this. Don't worry. But within 24 hours, the media got a hold of the story and I was on the front page of the newspaper time and time again. I was on the news and this became known nationwide. And so I lost my dog. I lost everything that I had and I went to jail. The attorney was wrong. My dog sustained no injuries. Now I'm a trained killer. I worked, I was trained in army SWAT. I worked with the secret service when I was in the army. I worked with special forces in the war. And when I want to hurt things, I can step into that warrior and hurt things. Montage never received any type of injury. Did I overreact? hundred percent true. Did she get hurt? No, but this, they wanted to make an example out of me. And that's what happened. I then hid for the next five years. When we talk about going under a rock, I was under massive boulders, right? Not a little rock, not a pebble. And I didn't really show my face. I would try to hide from the public and, and I would go out and then I would see a client somewhere out in public because I had a lot of clients. And eventually I gave up and I'm like, oh, I'm seeing too many people I know. I'm too embarrassed. I'm too ashamed. So I just wouldn't leave the house for five years. Hmm. That's amazing. And and you've mentioned dealing with PTSD a number of times. So is, is this still going on? You're, you're dealing with PTSD and I'm, I'm assuming you're not, you're not getting treated. You're not seeking help for this or anything. Right. I would go to the occasional counseling appointment, the standard vet center or VA mm. type of thing, but I didn't really, I wasn't really leaning in and doing the work. Okay. And the, the crucible moment was about three years ago where I thought I was having another heart attack. And I felt really weak and I started to sweat profusely, which was the same way I felt when I had my first heart attack. And next thing you know, I feel so weak that I feel like I'm going to pass out. And I, I, my body and my mind just wants to lay down on the floor and kind of give up. And it was weird how I had a hard time just staying awake or sitting upright. And I, in this moment, I realized that I was maybe going to pass out or I was going to pass out to die at 35 years old, my last day. And I realized that I had a lot of regret. I realized that I didn't do everything that I had wanted to do in this lifetime. And in that moment, I reached out to something like a higher power and I begged. I begged for my life. I begged for just another chance. And I promised that if I was given another chance, I would quit taking my life for granted. I'd quit having that chip on my shoulder and that I would lean in and do the work and transform myself. And I promised that, and after doing the work and the work is lifelong, I've learned I'll share, I'll share with others so that they can do the same for themselves. And next thing you know, I gradually started to feel a little bit better and the ambulance came and they took me to the ER and the doctors don't know what happened. And that was my crucible moment. Do, do you think all these, all these near-death experiences, were you kind of living the same lesson repeatedly until you got it, or were they, were they each different? I did not have enough awareness to pay attention to any of the lessons. If I were to reflect back on 
I would say that the lesson was the same and the lesson is to slow down. And part of my transparency and vulnerability with you and your audience, Andy, is I'm still in that fight. You know, people get so impressed with the accomplishments when they see the different things I've done. But what they don't know is that I'm not always slowing down and taking care of myself. I do self-care for sure, but I'm go, go, go 12 hours a day. And so actually, as of this week, I have committed to I'm going to slow down a little bit and start spreading out appointments and meetings. And then I don't have to cram them all in right away. Yeah. Spread them out for a few weeks. And I have committed to that as of recent. <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah. Always be growing. And, right. and yeah, that's something that's important for everybody, especially like uh, coach or coaches and speakers that I talk to. Like, yeah, we, if, 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 you, if you don't fill yourself up, you can't really be of as good as good a service as as your goal is. You you know, the the, the drained and down and hiding with a rock version of Ryan can't help as many people as right. as, as Ryan with a lot of self care. That's right. So you you mentioned that you, you know you wanted to transform your life and and do the great work, and then share that. So what's what's the value to you in sharing, and what's the value to others in in you sharing your story? Well, I really love to talk. And so part of the value in sharing is I get to talk. And the other part that I've learned is that you can really turn your mess into your message. And I'm kind of healing through all those years of being silent and all those moments of handing in my business card in fear that someone would Google me hmm. to now being open about things and saying, go ahead and look me up. And you're not, you're going to see some of what you like and some of what you don't maybe. And it's just going through it is, is healing. And I've learned that really the only way through something is through it. And the other part is that it really warms my heart. One of my favorite things to do is to help other people, whether it's to make a business introduction for them or to guide them on a easy way to write a book or whatever, I just really enjoy sharing some of my lessons to the up level and benefit other people. Mm -hmm. Is that something that, that benefit of that experience coming to you, is that something you were aware of before, um, before the, uh, the second heart attack? No. In fact, I have been traditionally a very selfish person. And I think it was part of my scarcity mindset. And I didn't know how great it would feel to be of service and do, to do for others. I didn't, I didn't really even have that concept or that awareness that it could feel so good. Hmm. And so I've, had, I've been waking that part up. And I was, I'll be transparent that it was, I was kind of faking it until I became it because I was modeling after my girlfriend, we were building this company called Project Live Your Legacy, which we, we put on hold to pursue some other business things. But one of the things was acts of service. And I was trying to monetize that. And she's like, no, we're just gonna volunteer. And I was like, no, no, like, we need to be making the money from this stuff. And she was very patient with me. This was a couple of years ago. And eventually I've started to get it. And I still am getting it. And, but, but I'm really have been able to chew on and, and really experience 
the essence of doing for others. Cool. And in our, in our conversation prior to the show, you, you talked about um, discovering that you had a feminine side and being willing to open it. I wonder if you want to talk about that. Like when, when did that show up and, and what was that experience like discovering there was some sort of feminine energy that, that could actually help you feel better in life? Yes. I discovered that where I'm actually sitting right now. I was in my office and I don't remember what I was doing, but I had this awareness and it was, I think I was maybe watching a video or listening to a song or something. And I began to think that I could essentially be open to me having different personalities within me. And that was a new concept for me. And the other part was for me to let a part of me die off. And that was that all the time needing to be tough and macho and you don't cry and all of this kind of stuff on, well, that's me being a man. Well, maybe that's some people's view on what a man is. But then I was like, well, now is that balanced? And I was like, well, no, that's not. And because there's other times I'm like, well, I'm really touched by that movie and I want to cry, but I can't because I'm going to feel like a punk. <laughs> and that's when I began to think that, oh, wow, there's many personalities and many beings that make up the essence of who I am. And so essentially, I came to a realization that I am many beings. I am a masculine. I am a feminine. I have an inner guide or an inner critic. And I have these different things that make up who I am. And as I can give some attention to each of them, and like one of them also is wants me to chill out. Another one of them wants me to go, go, go. Mm. And I give each of it some attention and some love, and I'm feeling more balanced. And the other part is I feel more secure in who I am. And if someone were to make a rude comment, I actually don't care as much anymore because I'm willing to step into the authentic me. And I don't really care what people, the haters say, because there's always going to be haters. And that means what? That maybe means I wear a feminine color, or that maybe means that I cry on stage when I'm public speaking. And I feel like we all, men and women, both have masculine and feminine. And I feel like we all can show up better by tapping into both of those. Mm -hmm. Now, I feel like just from media and upbringings and beliefs, we associate men as masculine and women as feminine. But there's, we could have some interesting discussions about, well, is that really what it is? Maybe we're all half and half. You know, it's just the conditioning that I think can really hold a lot of us back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're... we're we're all taught what it means to be masculine, to be man, to be tough, to be macho, to be weak, whatever it is. Uh, you know, as um, if you can remember or watch infants, you know, boys or girls cry the drop of hat, yell, scream, smile, giggle. And like every emotion is right there, ready to go in, in any given moment. And somewhere along the way, most of us are taught that some aspect of that is wrong. Right. Hmm. So I know you mentioned, um, in our previous conversation that you have a song called that's what a man does. So right. it's kind of the sort of the same thing is, is the song about, uh, you know, the, the, the act of being a man or a real man or a both a balanced man. What, what's that, what's that song kind of what, what fueled that? 
So I'm happy to say that I was invited to share my story with a veteran nonprofit called Creative Vets. And Creative Vets invites combat veterans to Nashville to use music therapy. And so Richard Casper, the founder of Creative Vets, he and I, he's a U.S. Marine veteran. And uh, Richard was actually blown up four times. And he found therapy in art and music. And now he's doing that for other veterans. Mm. So he invited me to Nashville to share my story through music, which I hadn't done before. And it was incredible, Andy. In one hour with three other songwriters, we had a song. Uh, in one hour of me sharing my story and two hours of writing, so in the three hours total, we had a song, That's What a Man Does. And it's just this beautiful evolution of something, and I didn't really know what would come of it. And I'll, I'll give a few of the lines just to kind of paint a picture. And one of them, it says, running from the truth as fast as you can. Now, for me, that line, that line is me running away from the daughter that I had 12 years ago that I chose to disown. And it wasn't until about two and a half years ago where I had looked for the mom and reconnected and I'm now back into her life. So it says, running from the truth as fast as you can. And then it says, can't find a fight, find a one night stand. And that was my life in the army, was doing this macho stuff. If you're doing one or the other, you're hooking up with women or you're fighting people if you can't hook up with women because you're frustrated and you're doing that macho stuff. And then the other thing that was aligned with all of that was the drinking. So the next line says, not thinking a lot and drinking too much. That's what a boy does, hmm. right? And so I'm really changing the dialogue on what it is to be a man. And I'm saying the things that I thought made me a man, the nice cars, the fancy stuff, and the women, and all these tough macho stuff, and the UFC, that makes me a man. I'm saying not necessarily. In fact, depending upon your mindset and why you're doing it, you're actually just being a boy. Hmm. And so that has been my truth. My truth is I had been a boy in a man body most of my entire life, right? And now the chorus is really fun. The chorus says a line such as, um, it's knowing you're wrong when you're wrong, building the bridge you burnt, standing there on it like you own it. So you're building that bridge you burnt because you, you screwed up, yeah. right? And then you own it but it doesn't have to define you. Mm. And then it says, it's knowing that right's not always easy and love's not always tough. That's what a man does. And so I'm challenging myself and, and others to know like, look, no one ever says the work is easy. And, but it's about making those extra steps and pushing that shopping cart all the way into the, place where you put them rather than up against the car. It's doing that little bit of extraness. No one ever said it would be easy, but it's doing that extra steps. I think that's what makes a man. And we can also get rid of the word, that's what a man does, and say, that's what a solid human being does. Yeah. And then there's one other line, or there's one other course, or part, should I say, of the song that I really love. And it's the veteran, the military part. And it says, it's going and knowing that you might come back. 
to 21 guns and a folded flag. It's rising up when push comes to shove. That's what a soldier does. And so it, it's kind of a funny, fun play on words where it's going and knowing. You may come back. When you go to the war, you're like, I may not come back. But then it also is saying, you may come back to, that's a military funeral, 21-gun salute and a folded flag, which is what they give the next of kin or, or the spouse of that fallen soldier. And so it's deep. I, that's one of the things I'm known for, Andy, is I go deep, man. Good. And, and I feel like in, in doing so, we can reach more people. We can really up-level each other and, and move mountains together. Cool. So, so what's, the, what, what's, your, what's your goal or desire with the song? Is this something that, that, that you'll release as a performer? Or you're, you're looking for, to have someone cover this? Like, what, are, are you a singer? Is this, do you have a lot of songwriting experience? Uh, Definitely, definitely not. So I'm just was fortunate enough to share my story with actually one of the songwriters is named Jonathan Singleton, who this guy has hit written numerous number one hits in the country genre. And so I have a one song deal with Big Machine Records out of Nashville, who's the largest country label in the world. And so they have said, we love this song. We actually did professionally record it in the studio in Nashville. And we are looking to reach out to Blake Sheldon or Tim McGraw. And so we're about to do a PR campaign. I have my own PR company that I work with. And uh, Hillary from Lobby is going to do a PR push to reach out to Blake Sheldon and Tim McGraw and say, look, here's his veteran. We want to do this movement on what it is to be a man. Would you like to be a part of it? Mm. And so if anyone on the show knows Blake Sheldon or Tim McGraw, reach out to me and and i definitely will will show my appreciation awesome awesome yeah let's, let's get the word out but it, yeah i mean just 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 those lines being recited yeah the, it could feel the power and 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 your authenticity and and again the vulnerability that that you've discovered actually serves you and can serve others so well that's um, right actually let me let me ask that so instead of assuming that so what are the benefits to you from being authentic and vulnerable it's being accepted and it's being, it's being able to, at the end of the day, to feel good, to feel at peace and to look in the mirror and I can smile versus maybe it's a bit tougher to smile because I know that I didn't really put everything out there. I know that I was holding back, but I just put everything out there. And in the, in, the, in the right way, with a, with a positive outlook and not to be mean or rude, but to say, this is raw, this is realness. And so I think it just allows you to have some peace of mind at the end of the day and feel complete as a human being. And, and any, any thoughts on why you think so many men resist being seen as vulnerable? Well, I feel like that's the conditioning. There's a vulnerability is being soft, being vulnerable is being weak, being vulnerable is you're taken advantage of. Now there's also, I have no problem in stepping into my power and, and letting people know, look, I'm not gonna be taken advantage of. And so it doesn't mean we're these soft men that just let the world walk all over us. No, we're just, it's just a matter of being able to tap into the whole being of who one is 
Yeah. And here's the other cool part is that the, the other feminine males that have, that are willing to tap into that will come around more. I can't believe all these very balanced males that have been coming to my life as friends and we can share love back and forth and women love it even more so. So you become a magnet and women are because you feel safe to them mm -hmm. and they can sense that, that there's an openness with the heart which is often so closed off. Now, I know this, Andy, more than most, and I will illustrate. I remember years ago hugging my ex-wife in, in the kitchen, and I remember looking up to God and praying for me to have some feelings while I was hugging her. I was like begging, please just allow me to have a hint of a feeling and emotion right now, but I was numb. I was stone cold. And that was my fear. That was PTSD. That was my walls up. And that was me not wanting to get close because I thought I would be hurt. Mm. And so that didn't feel good. And so the other part about tapping into the whole being is allowing yourself to feel. And that's, what this life is a huge part of what this life is about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, we, it's really the, why the show exists and why it's called what it is real men feel to remind men that we have emotions and on the other side of every horrible feeling is, is peace. There, there's a better feeling. If you, if you're willing to, to sit with that, to, to feel all the aspects of you, to, to be authentic, to put it all out there, to share the pain, it, it, it's always better on the other side of that. But uh, that, I mean, that's, I have chills that you talk about that story of like hugging someone and praying to, to feel something. I mean, that, that's what leads so many people into to addictions and, and, and abusive behaviors and, and just so many bad things. Um, but yeah, we're, we're emotional beings. We're, we have a full range of them. We're, we're supposed to. Right? And it's going to feel awkward. It felt yeah. so uncomfortable. And then the doubt kicks in. I remember when I was starting to tap into who, all of who I am, it felt uncomfortable. And then I would see things and then I would go more towards the old ways again. And it's just been an evolution. So if anyone is listening to this that is considering tapping into the essence and all of who they are, just be patient with yourself and don't worry about it. And just be open. That's it. Just be open and being willing to lean in. And I can tell you that not only will you feel and notice a difference, but those that love you, those that care about you will also. And some people are gonna drop off, some friends and maybe family. And, but then there's gonna be this whole new tribe that will start coming to you. And it's an evolution and a process, but it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the universe is constantly expanding. So, so I believe we as individuals need to be constantly expanding too. And it's when you re resist that and refuse to grow or to change, or I don't want to lose what I've got, or I don't want to risk anything. Um, you're not living as full a life as, as you could. That's right. Well, all of this stuff is very temporary. It doesn't feel like it, but it is. And I just, my thing is this, look, if we aren't getting a little bit better or a whole lot better each day, I feel we're going backwards. We're never going to be younger than we are right now. 
And so we might as well just start today or in this moment right now to start making some changes with the things we want to have change about because we're not getting any younger. Yeah. Yeah. And we're all going to have that moment where our time's up in this lifetime. And so I think it's our duty, all of us, to really lean in and do the work and present ourselves, as you alluded to earlier, as the best person possible, not just for us, but the world and for those that we are around and interact with. Beautiful. Yeah. Hmm. So it's, it's hard to imagine that, that what you're sharing with and, and what you've discovered and, and how you help people now, um, that some aspect of this came from the dog training. Yeah. So, is it, so in, in, in working with dogs, is, you know, what, what, what are the things that translated well to people? I'm still learning this one. And I'll, the, the first one that stuck, stood out was patience. Hmm. My patience with dogs is absolutely incredible and impeccable. My patience with people, not so much, which I think that's interesting. So dogs, are keep, they keep showing me, and they're like, hey, don't forget to do that with your human buddies. But dogs have taught me a lot of lessons, and I wasn't always open to it. So again, this has been an evolution for me to discover it upon my own journey and my own growth. And so dogs just continue to show me and all of us, one is unconditional love. Now the fun part is I'm gonna actually highlight three of the main things that I feel dogs are teaching us on a daily basis on the TEDx stage, August 18th of 2019 cool. at TEDx Sky Forest. And so I'm gonna have my dog on stage and this, this speech is titled, Life Lessons Dogs Teach Humans. And so I'm going to talk about that unconditional love. And so I shared my very first bomb threat sweep and how I was panicked and my dog was barking because I was panicked while we were driving in the car, running code, meaning lights and sirens. And I yelled at my dog to shut up but it was because I was just panicked and scared. So I was a prick to my own dog who I needed to keep me safe very soon to search that building for that bomb threat. But I then share how I took him back to the kennel after the search was over and we locked eyes and we connected. And I apologized for how I talked to him. And I'll never forget that look of his deep almond-shaped eyes. He like intuitively spoke to me and he said, I loved you then and I still love you now. And so Zito, that working dog, gave me that gift of unconditional love. He still accepted me, even though I was a prick. He accepted me. And I thought that unconditional love is really beautiful. And that's a constant reminder for me and a lot of us every day. And because I'm guilty of sometimes my love is conditional, which I don't like. Yeah. And another one is enthusiasm. And so the, the story I share in the TEDx talk is if you think about like when a significant other comes home and there's you in the house and then there's the dog, who gets all the greeting first? The dog, right? Yeah. And so they greet the dog with all this excitement and all this kind of stuff. And then it's like you barely get much acknowledgement. So I talk about how, what would our relationships be like? if we treated each other with the same enthusiasm we do our dogs, right? And so here's what, why being enthusiastic matters so much because people feel like they're cool. They feel like they matter. They feel important. 
when someone is being enthusiastic towards another being. They feel like, oh, well, I guess they really like me because they're like super excited to be in my presence. So that's, that's a really cool gift, really. And then the last one is not to take things personally. And so I talk about how dogs will fight, literally fight each other, but then they'll lick and make up after. Mm-hmm. And they will even lay down next to one another. And I know this because I've trained over 3,000 dogs. And they will. They'll be in each other's presence. And to me, that blows my mind. So I talk about how, well, what would our relationships and our life be like if we didn't take things so personally and if we could get over drama and conflict quick like a dog? And so, so those are some of the life lessons that I feel dogs are teaching us on a daily basis is that unconditional love, that enthusiasm, and to just not take things so personally. Yeah, that's awesome. And I was sharing before the show that, that one of my books, it, it's only released as an ebook because it's full of photos, but it's about uh, my hound dog, Homer, who was uh, struck by a car in January of 2013. And uh, we had an invisible dog fence and he never left it until 10 years old. He, 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 ran, he ran out of our yard and was killed right in front of our house. Oh, no. um, and we were just devastated, my wife and I. And the, that first just restless night, I just tortured. And instead of, I didn't like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. I, I, wrote, I got up and wrote a blog post about the, the six life lessons I, I got from Homer. Oh, wow. And, uh, and so I released it as an ebook. And then Hay House was looking for stories about loss. Um, I saw that. I submitted it. And so, I, so Homer, Andy and Homer are both in a Hay House book by Louise Hay called You Can Heal wow. Your Heart in the section about pets. Wow. And one of, those, one of the lessons that Homer taught that is unconditional love, just as oh, you're talking about. I was going to ask, Andy, yeah. if any yeah. of those three are, are in there. Yeah. And, and even, yeah, so I did a, treat everything like it's your first time, which is really much the enthusiasm. Just yes. like every meal, every time someone's home, every, every bowl of water is like everything was exciting. And now, right. and, but uh, the unconditional love part for me then, um, and I've struggled with, with depression and suicidal thoughts for, for a lot of my life. And there were so many times when I was home alone, just sobbing, just, just hating myself and thinking I really just, I just didn't want to be here at all anymore. And Homer would, would find me and, and be concerned. You could just tell and just, you know, look in the face, putting his head on my lap. Um, our, our dogs, especially for men, our dogs see us more vulnerable, more pained than we'll let other humans see. And but the, the love was just always there, right? And uh, and he really helped me turn around and just that reminded me that in any moment, all right, I can focus on judging myself and hating myself, or I can focus on this beautiful furry face looking at me and these big brown eyes and hey, hey let let's step outside and throw a ball around and, and for and let me, you know, forget how shitty I feel. And and it's easy to do when, when you give in to that unconditional love and allow allow yourself to receive some of that. That's um, right. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to mention that. Yeah. And uh sharing that that's so cool um it's it's cool right how homer's legacy continues yeah and that was another part of of, of leave an impact um right. just because yeah the blog post and so many people he met and you know he loved he loved other people more than other dogs <laughs> yeah my dog's the same way i always say i say look he likes dogs he loves people yeah yep. yeah so that's cool but uh so that's coming up in august for you it that's- is yeah so i'm Great. preparing right now it'll be a seven minute speech and uh, I'm mean, really excited. So Zeus is the only dog in the world to have done two TEDx talks. Right. So you wrote, you've already done one is complete. Correct. So that was uh, overcoming PTSD using dog training techniques. That's right, Andy. It is. All right. So, so um, 
you want to share a couple of those? Yeah. So that was really fun. What I did was I essentially, that was honestly my come out story. I used the TEDx stage to share what really happened with the animal cruelty case. Cause I never shared with the media yeah. back in 2011. I never shared what happened, but I also share how people can perceive me as a combat veteran as PTSD from combat. Well, I also share that PTSD can show up in many ways. So I talked about being molested as a little boy. I talk about the ATV accident and how these numerous traumatic events has resulted in my compound interest, the PTSD kind of thing, right? And so it was really fun. I had Zeus on stage and he performed some tricks and it was, it was, really, it was really a good time. And I want to share, we talk about being vulnerable. One of my, and we got to be careful with what we think about because whatever we think about expands, right? Yeah. Now, Zeus is Belgian Malinois, and this is a very protective type of breed. He's trained to attack. And so this, we're inside this theater, and my whole thing is like, okay, I just hope Zeus doesn't bark if there's a strange sound because that's what he's trained for. Well, sure enough, I get on stage, I stand still, and I'm about to talk, and Zeus barks. And so I'm like, oh, no, what am I going to do? So all I did was, and now, of course, that happened because I was thinking, oh, no, I hope it doesn't happen. Well, all I did was I said, oh, and Zeus says, hello, a warm welcome. And they laughed and they loved it. It was, it was really funny. So I want to encourage people that sometimes you can find uh, humor in some of the mess that happens to us, right? And so anyways, that talk is not yet released. It's being reviewed because in the TEDx world and TED world, when we talk about mental health, they have these special layers that they really make sure that it's good to go. Mm -hmm. And so what I did in that talk was I talked about the four pillars of my dog training technique, which is RCTR, which stands for repetition, consistency, timing, and reward. Now, Andy, that's worth thousands of bucks. That's the stuff that people pay me a lot of money to learn. That's the secret to train any dog. If you apply repetition over and over and over to teach a new behavior, if you are a consistent leader, if you apply timing as it relates to uh, correction and behavior and reward, should I say, within one second, correct a reward of behavior. And lastly, if you give a reward when impressed, that's the secret of how you train a dog. But I converted that into RCTR being part of my transformation. So I talked about how I repetitiously used the daily ritual to overcome PTSD because I had no purpose. I wasn't doing any, anything. But then I began to make my bed. I began to create this morning ritual that really helped me create some incredible momentum. And then so repetition and consistency, I talked about to be consistently authentic and have a consistent positive mindset and consistently do the best at whatever I'm doing. And so that was part of, again, my transformation. And then T for timing, I talk about taking the time to settle the mind. Mm. And for me, the game changer was meditation, taking the time out of the busy day for meditation. And the last letter R for rewards, where I talk about, look, when you start doing the work, rewards will come to you. It's just how it works. Me talking to you right now and your audience, Andy, is one of the rewards of me being able to lean in, be vulnerable, share be of service. Um, you're rewarding me right now for this opportunity. So thank you. And I just share that the rewards keep showing up. 
So it's RCTR. Um, that's what we talked about, Zeus and I. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, that that's really cool. And and uh, yeah, I I find the in my experience, the people that can be of the most help to others, it, it's all self-discovery and self-experimentation. So yeah, so first you find it with dogs, then you find it with yourself, then you're like, hey, maybe this will help other people besides just me. And uh, I, I love when things un unfold that way. Exactly, absolutely. Cool. All right, so uh, once, the, sh once the, the TED Talk is live, or both of them, let me know, and, and I'll update uh, oh. the blog post on, on realmenfeel.org. Um, for the, for this for this episode, and I'll, I'll be sure and include links to the those those TED talks once they're released, and everyone can check those out. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. So, um, if you had to choose, do you prefer hanging out with people or dogs? Oh, wow, that's a really really good question, huh? I almost never get stumped. <laughs> I think it would depend on my mood. Oh, okay. I sometimes feel like I want to be a loner. And when that happens, I want to be around dogs. And I, I really do love to talk and I do like to be social. And in those instances, I would really like to be around people. So for me, it would be a little bit of both. Depends on how I feel. Awesome. Awesome. So you've, so you've got a lot of, of things going on. Um, the TEDx talks and you're, you're still, you're not still personally doing dog training or, or are you? I do very exclusive high-end dog training internationally. So all throughout the world, I do training. And then I do work with a few select people uh, here in Southern California, um, but it's not very many. It's like I interview you, you interview me. And so I was doing about 10 to 12 clients per day, and now I work with just four clients per month. And what I'm doing with World of Dog Training is international in-person training and online subscription dog training. And the reason being, Andy, is not everyone can afford my hourly rate of a few hundred dollars or my half, my half day or all day rate where it's, you know, over a grand, but I still want to help people. And I still want to share this gift of dog training because this stuff works, man, it works. And that's why I've created this online play so that this is scalable to reach people in any location. Price is not going to be an issue. It's going to be affordable and we can really up-level dogs, up-level the humans. And this is actually a game changer because if you think about it, if dogs are more well-behaved, that's less dogs taken back to the shelter. That means less dogs euthanized. And so there's actually a huge impact that can happen from this. So I just, again, I feel it's our duty to share our gifts and talents with others. And that's why I do uh, dog training still. Cool. So, so what's the best way for people to, to connect with you, to find out more about you, about the speaking, about the, the dog training? Sure. So on social media, it's I am Ryan Matthews. And for dog training, it's worldofdogtraining.com. And for public speaking or transformational consulting type of work, it's IamRyanMatthews.com. And if someone has a dog that is super anxious or in any type of pain or mobility issues, I have a natural hemp product, and that is peaceofmindhemp.com. But, it, but it's peace of mind for, for dogs? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, right. Exactly. So the peace of mind is for the house. Ah. Because, look, it hurts us to see our dog not being able to get up as quick as they once had. It hurts us to see our dog not run freely like they have. 
And so it feels better and giving you and the dog that peace of mind when that dog starts to feel young again and when that pain starts to go away, right? Or when that anxious dog starts to feel a bit calmer and take that edge off. It's just that peace of mind. Cool. I, uh, we're going to wrap this up in a, in a, in a few moments, but I, I, I kind of want to, I, I want to end on the, uh, the, get the most upbeat note I, I can. So I wonder if, if there's a, is there one particular thing that you wish more men knew? Yes. And that is that we have a masculine and a feminine. And just because we were taught a certain way of doing things, who's to say that's really the way. And so I'm a big believer in challenging the status quo. I don't want to be like everyone else. I choose to be unique and that's okay for anyone that wants to choose that. So dare to be different. It's okay. And just be authentically who you are. Tap into all of who you are. Cool. And of all the things that you've done so far, what are you most proud of? Doing the work to transform myself from this chip on the shoulder, arrogant, selfish, mean person to someone that's more purpose-driven, someone that wants to be of service, someone that is being more well-rounded as a human being, and someone that is understanding that the work never ends and being okay with that and willing to do so. That's, that's good. Because um, that that's one I struggle with the that the work never ends. That's that can be a tough one to learn again and again. Andy, I didn't know that. I seriously thought I just bust my butt for a few years and I'm good to go. And it wasn't until earlier this year that I learned, like, no, Ryan, that stuff it doesn't end. Yeah. And my, one of my friends, who's a psychologist, she's like, I keep doing the work, and I was like, what? You you have a healer? She said, yeah. And then once I learned those two things, I was like, oh, okay, I got it. This stuff never ends, and I'm committed. So I have literally a couple of people that I work on my own transformational stuff every month for the accountability. And I am committed because I owe it to myself, and I owe it to you, Andy. I owe it to everyone else out there. Um, because if we each do that, imagine what the world would be like with our interactions with each other. Cool, cool. Well, I, I want to thank you once again, Ryan, for, for spending this time with us. Um, the, the dogs and men of the world. <laughs> owe, owe you a lot and i i look forward to uh, all species seeing uh what else you create and share with the world i appreciate the opportunity man and i'm really glad to see you back on air and i hope that this was of great value and that your audience will take a lot away from this beautiful beautiful um thanks for joining us everyone wherever you're listening to real midfield or watching us post a rating a comment a review a share we'd love to hear from you visit realmenfield.org check us out on facebook send us feedback and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. And be good to yourself and be good to your dogs. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Reach out to us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. Until next time, visit realmenfeel.org or the Real Men Feel Facebook group and share what you thought of this episode. Please give this podcast a review on iTunes Google Play, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Field.